today's guest is Steve Knievel, and it's a wonder that I got him on at all, because you're talking to a ski bum that barely understands technology and struggles to do remote interviews, and he was kind enough to free up some time in his schedule, and I graciously started to have technical difficulties and couldn't figure shit out. If you've ever seen the 1981 fantasy prehistoric adventure movie Quest for Fire, that's pretty much what I look like when I'm trying to set this podcast up. I am a Luddite in a podcaster's clothing. But anyway, we got it figured out, and he's here, and we get to talk about some really cool stuff. And he hosts his own podcast, so he's a really easy person to talk to. He knows, you know, instinctively, I think he knows about dead air, which I haven't really figured out yet. And so in lieu of all the technical stuff, uh, he was on, we were talking, uh, things were flowing. I first found out about Stevel uh, when somebody told me about wizard staffs across the universe. If you want to know about that, uh, just do what I did and look it up on Google and you'll find all kinds of stuff. It's basically a, a June holiday. I'll leave it at that. Uh, and I don't know if we do any around here, so don't even ask. But I'm sure we do. So ask around. But anyway, we talk about uh, his upcoming book. It's uh, basically not even an art book. It's a sketch book. It's, uh, it's hard to define but I'm really excited for it because I'm a true zine head. Like, I love zines. I love anything to do with art. I love just opening a book and absorbing the page without too much difficulty. It's not like trying to read, you know, fucking a novel or, you know, you're not trying to interpret Moby Dick for a thesis. It's just nice to relax and enjoy some, some good art. And anyway, the book's called Nowhere Fast, Drawings Made on Air on Planes. And he's got a release date of the 17th of March uh, in San Francisco at the Mission Workshop. And then he's on to Seattle and Portland the subsequent weekends. So um, I'll put links in the show notes so you'll kind of know where they're at for the other dates. And... It was a really good conversation, and I was surprised, like, that he knew, especially that he knew about Dan Price, which is kind of like a uh, an OG in the Zinester world. This guy's been doing, you know, his own thing for so many years. So we talk a little bit about that, and he's got a great description of. Dan Price's Moonlight Chronicles, which is Dan's zine. And uh, yeah, the conversation is just great. And I look forward to him having a lot of success with this project. And not just success for monetary gain or fame or whatever. Success that allows him to keep creating. Because that's kind of what we're all always doing. I mean, we're not in it to really make money. You just want to make a living so you can keep creating. And if you're a, a maker, that's kind of your your ethos is you just want to keep making. It's like, you know, when you finish one thing, you should be starting the next. And that's only possible when, you know, people dig your art and dig your stuff and show up and, you know, give you some support and... Stevel is definitely worthy of every ounce of support because I don't even know how many years I've been following him, but uh, his shit always makes me laugh. His blog's hilarious. Uh, his one for the weekend is is so good. We talk about some stuff that you know you'll just have to look up when you hear about it, and uh, I'll just leave it at that and let you get into the episode. Mr. Stevel Knievel. All right, we're live, it says. So uh, I'm here with Stevel Knievel, uh, kind of flipping through Thrasher and saw that there was a piece in there uh, on Canvas, their normal artistic kind of 
artistic outlet corner and you got a feature and I was kind of wanting to talk to you about your art and your process and and kind of go through that I, I was curious about that layout and how it came to be did somebody approach you and say hey you know because I mean the skate community has like this weird intersection between skate and art most of my skater friends are are really bitching artists so I'm wondering how that layout came to be um uh, well, firstly, thanks for inviting me to do this. I'm sorry. It was a little bit of a chore getting to a place where we could record with each other, but um, I'm happy to be taking a part in this. We were just discussing before we hit the record button that um, neither, well, like I, I'd never listened to podcasts and then suddenly now I'm, you know, a guest on one and, and I have my own and uh, it's, it's been kind of a quick transition from having absolutely no relationship with this medium to uh, now I'm kind of buried in it, but, um, yeah. so to answer your question, uh, a year and change ago, my friend Judd, uh, he was sort of the, he was sort of the local photographer for our phot photographer, excuse me, for our little parking lot scene in Oakland. And, um, uh, he wanted to, he discussed with me the possibility of, pitching a story idea to Thrasher about our, about our spot. And, um, so I wrote a piece about it and then he had, he had a bunch of really great photos of various visiting pros and stuff. And we had a phone conference conversation with the editor, uh, Michael Burnett, um, a couple conversations and it looked like it was a go, but then they ended up scrapping the piece and at that point, I just reached out to him and I asked him what was involved in getting a, a canvas feature because it was, you know, since I was a kid, I think Transworld uh, skateboarding years ago had an article called Hands That Bite. And, uh, you know, I, I'd seen there was there was always a link between skateboarding and and makers. You know, there was uh, there skateboarders who are musicians and skateboarders who are painters and drafts people and photographers and um so on and uh i loved that that thrasher had kind of taken up that momentum and and you know the high speed productions was pretty integral and in juxtaposed magazine being launched and um yeah there's always been a pretty deep current between skateboarding and and makers um so michael put me in touch with this guy adam I sent him a link to my art website and some images and uh, didn't hear back for six or seven months. And I sent him another email and I didn't hear back for another couple of months. And then <clears throat> I got a real quick response, just said that uh, he got in the email and that it was a pretty long line, but I was in the queue. And so, uh, I was happy to wait, and then I was traveling uh, about a month ago, and I got this email said, if you can get me a, an assortment of high-quality images, we can have you in the next issue. So it was just that Damn. it was just that quick, and I got back and sent him off some better quality, uh, higher-resolution images, and and here we are. It's wild, though. Like. Yeah, how did you select the layout? Because it seems like your layout's pretty diverse. Like, I don't know if there's like a, you know, like did you have like a timeline where you went back and selected some of your earlier stuff? Because it it looks on the layout like like I own a couple or a, a piece of your art, and uh, it seems like you had like a kind of a style shift as the time went by. You know, where where things got like finer line type type work, but like that layout seems like it 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 had a time range uh, where yeah, you, did you select from like 10 years ago, five years ago, or did you just say, I love these pieces and they're talking about um, more of that. It was uh, uh, <clears throat> a couple of pieces that I had done within the last couple of years. And there was a, I think one piece I, I did this whole diorama series called the town uh, from 2007 to 2008, I think I worked on that for a, a year or maybe like 15 months. And um, 
I had a couple, had three or four shows with those pieces, um, but they still, I, I really like those and those still really speak to me. And at some point, if I ever get a proper studio again, I would like to do larger scale versions of some of those same pieces. Like I kind of look at those pieces as being studies, uh, right. but I still think they're relevant and I still think that they are, um, uh, have some investment in what I'm doing now. So, yeah, I didn't, I mean, as far as the physical layout of the spread went, I had nothing to do with that. I just sent them uh, pieces that I liked and, and some new pieces. Uh, you know, I don't know how much you know about, like, how I ended up in Washington State, but I had to leave the Bay Area uh, where I'd lived since 1998. Uh, it's kind of a matter of survival. Um, my my marriage came to a conclusion and I didn't, I couldn't realistically stay in the same place uh, and continue to kind of heal and continue to grow. And, um, and my folks have lived in Northern Washington for a long time and I had some friends here. So came here, but in, in that transition, I lost my studio and, uh, you know, the environment, dictates the environment in which a person works dictates the the scale and the style of work that they can do so a lot of most everything that i've done since i've been here have been really small watercolors and small drawings uh, right where, uh, where did the self-portrait come from because that was like one of my favorite my favorite pieces when i opened it up that was the first thing i see oh was yourself yeah, sort of the religion, like the icon iconography, sort of. Yeah, like the uh, shit you see on candles and stuff. That thing's fucking um, awesome. Let's see. I don't remember what you shit. Sorry, I just had to hang up on a phone call. Are we still recording? Okay. Yeah, um, still good. Uh, let's see. I don't remember what year that was, but it was something that I had been kind of plotting in my head for a while. I'd done I'd done a painting of sort of like the Virgin. Uh, Mary and the and child, except the Virgin Mary was my cat and I was the child. <clears throat> and I'd done that a year or two earlier. And, um, and I, I had just like, I was thinking about uh, how to, how to best convey my, uh, my relationship with skateboarding and, and what it's always meant to me and how excited I was to be sort of re-immersed in it, you know, actively. Um, but, somewhere along the way the internet took a real bite out of my attention span and probably not long after I started uh using you know working with the internet for a living um I was constantly being dragged in different directions and you know you gotta there's there's this this like major distraction in my in my life and uh I, I needed to narrow my focus again but i I wasn't quite sure how, um, and I don't know why it came about, but I, uh, I started building model cars and I got really into building model cars and it, and it was like, it, that was the shift that I needed. And that was the, the activity that I needed to do to kind of narrow my aperture so that I could functionally and physically focus on something for extended periods of time because my attention span had just like just gotten obliterated Uh, yeah well your art too it lends itself to kind of like fine line like your your patience is like fucking zen level because i i used to try to i I used to try to put together models when i was younger and i just i just i get like a quarter of the way down and fucking scrap it like i like I don't know how you do your fine line work. Like, you know, I see some of your reels or your posts and your stories, and I'm you're like these super fine like micron pens, and I'm like, how the fuck does this guy do this for hours on end? Like, is it a focus exercise? Is it like some for, zen yeah, shit? Yeah, for it, sure. And I know? think meditation. I tried to meditate. I've tried to do you know like, I just can't do it. I'm not built for it. I don't. Th- but I believe that you can kind of get the same a level of uh, focus or attention or achievement or mental clarity or whatever by, um, you know, you can get it riding or you can get it climbing or you can get it skiing or you can get it drawing, painting or whatever. Yeah, sure. But anyway, <clears throat> the 
that uh, that religious portrait, I did that after I built like seven model cars. And I really felt like I, it was almost like a, it was almost like tr a training exercise. And then I got to a point where I was happy to sit down, uh, undistracted. I could sit in my studio and I could paint for, you know, five or six or seven hours at a stretch without feeling like, uh, I was being pulled away. Um, so that's where, that's where that came about, um, but it's funny that I had just had an exchange. Are you familiar with Sean Cliver? He's a, mm -mm. a person who's arguably one of the most important skateboard artists of the century. Like he did uh, world industries. He did graphics for, but he started doing graphics for Paolo Peralta way back in the way back. Um, he's done Paisley. Uh, he runs strange love skateboards now. But he did one graphic. Somebody reached out to me and they were looking. They wanted to buy this one specific graphic that he had done. And they had contacted me because I curated a show that this piece was in, I don't know, four years ago. And um, it had gone missing. Like this person, this friend that he wanted to buy the, the graphic for had every revision or every version of the deck that this graphic had appeared on. So he wanted to buy it, this, the original piece for them for the, for, for a wedding present. And, um, like the drawing, but the drawing itself is, is fucking fantastic. It's, it's called balloon boy and it's a kid. There's a broken skateboard in the foreground and there's a kid standing on an Eames chair with his foot on the chair, like one foot on the chair and one foot on the back and it's tipping backwards. And he's got a string around his neck attached to a balloon. And uh, you know, it's a, it's an, it's a interesting and engaging graphic by itself, but the wire work on the base of this Eames chair is fucking unreal. Uh, it's, I, I can't even describe it, but it's <clears throat> Sean was able to capture the dimension of the wire, like the wire in the front of the chair. And it's a knot, you know what an Eames chair looks like. It's, it's just wire work in the, oh, yeah. in the base, but he drew the whole thing in perspective, uh, foreground background. And it's, it's, I, I don't know how he, I don't know how he did it. It is absolutely staggering this piece in real life. I mean, it's revisions of it are, you know, digital versions of it. You can see how intricate it is, but the real version, the, the real live drawing is, is incredible. And I, we were talking about it the other day and he's like, well, I don't have the patience to draw a pile of clowns. And I was like, Oh man. I mean, I just like the fucking master <laughs> just gave me props. So yeah, for sure. For sure. The clown pile gets much props from when I went to go have it frame last, uh, this last year, the frame guys like per, you know he's a, a local guy we don't use you know michaels or any of that horse shit we go to the local guy and uh he was looking at it you know and he's seen some crazy shit and he was kind of like just studying it you know and i was like i told him i said you just gotta look at it as an overview like don't you know like don't lose yourself in the pile <laughs> and he thought it was pretty cool so yeah major props i'm gonna look up balloon boy later did that make it onto a deck yeah was it was one of the a... paisley skateboard decks so we have a skate, we have a shop here, Prestige, that has a lot of really cool decks, like, you know, ones that you wouldn't normally see that, you know, like if you go, you don't always see the same decks. Like I've seen some pretty vulgar decks at Prestige at the skate shop that, you know, they've had to get from direct from the company. So it's kind of cool that something like that would make it out there because I've never seen it. Most of my skating yeah. shit comes from my son. I, I, I would... Every time I've been on a skateboard, I've fucked Thanks. myself up. It doesn't so. stop. I mean, I've got I've got like two or three <laughs> broken ribs right now, and uh, and this yeah. doesn't. My dad, I had uh, dinner with my dad a week ago or something, and he asked me if I, you know, he always every time I get broken off doing something, he's like, "Are you so you're gonna stop doing it?" I'm like, you know, no, no, yeah. because this brings me yeah. this brings me happiness, and this brings me. I'm not gonna just like bubble wrap myself and squirrel myself away in a corner to avoid getting hurt. I can't, I love doing this stuff. I just, it's a, it's sort of a Sisyphean effort to try to find a way to do the things that I love to do and, but also not get hurt while doing them. Cause. I yeah. Well, skate, 
I mean, skateboarding is kind of a weird thing where like every time I've ever fucked myself up bad, it's been like I, it's been something outside my control. Like I'll that's hit a pebble ex- or a crack. Or yeah, something, that's exactly you know? what I did. I, I, I hit a pebble. I mean, I'd only been rolling for an honest, no exaggeration, like a minute and a half. And I hit a pebble and I went straight to my shoulder and my bicep and elbow broke my ribs. I've never broken myself with myself before. So this absolutely <laughs> a first for me. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. So, so to, but back to like drawing, it's just like, it's, you know, you get meditation where you get it. And that's just, uh, that's like where I lose myself. And it's, yeah, for sure. But uh, kind of getting back to like you leaving Oakland, uh, w- that was I think where I first started kind of following your journey is is because uh, I ride bikes quite a bit. Well, not quite, probably not as much as you, but you know we got cross bikes. We do some bike packing and shit like that. But the the wizard staffs across the universe thing kind of I I've stumbled on that, and then I just picked your story up, and and you had actually started on a. a I, I guess I'd call it like a healing road trip or like kind of like a, you know, a, a, a transition road trip that sounds, I mean, where did you go? I can't, you, you had a pretty wide yeah, arc on that. Road I was trip, all over the you? place. Um, so like, yeah, like every, like everything has like a 20 minute backstory for me. I really got to figure out how to land the plane. But uh, in the, in the uh, late nineties, I guess, early two thousands, I was on, um, I happened to run into this guy, Jeff Holt, who was running the Tioga Tires program on the Norba circuit, bumped into him in Portland, and he said, hey, you want to go to uh, uh, Snoqualmie? No. Yeah, Snoqualmie. There was a Nationals downhill race in in, in Washington. I think it was Snoqualmie. And uh, I was like, yeah, sure. And I had friends in Bellingham well, where I live now. And I said, well, I'm just going to give them a call as we're driving through town. And if they pick up, then I'll then I'll jump out. And if they don't, then I'll continue on with you to uh, Banff or Canmore, where the ne- next Nationals race was. And they didn't pick up the phone. So I went on to Calgary essentially. And then I hooked up with Hurl Everstone, who, who does cars or coffins. Um, he and I had been pen pals for a while. And then, and then from there we drove to Minnesota and then we went to a nationals race in Georgia. And then, so like we did this big national loop. Um, but the final race that I was at was in Mammoth and there was a pop-up camper on this truck in the expo area. And I was just like, it was like, you know, an off-road specific camper. And I just was, I was totally mesmerized. I was thinking, you know, you could, I could get one and I could get it gutted and I could make like a fold down drawing table and my cat and I could drive all over the country. And, you know, I didn't have a truck or a cat at this point. I didn't have anything, but the idea (laughs) of that was really super appealing to me. And then life went on and, you know, I met somebody and, uh, we got married and then kind of settled into a routine, but it was always kind of in the back of my mind. And, and we talked about doing big road trips together, but never could figure out like how we, how she would make a living while we were doing it. Um, and then somewhere along the way, when things were kind of going south, uh, uh, the, uh, I don't know, our, our couples counselors, something said, uh, proposed the idea that, you know, maybe, maybe you move out for a little while and you give, you know, get some breathing room. And instead of moving out and getting a, you know, paying a deposit and starting paying rent in a place that I know I didn't want to live, uh, I would invest the money in a, in a camper and then I would do a, a road trip. So it was really sort of like my road trip, as fun as it was, um, was really bittersweet because it was basically like a trial separation for me and for us. And, uh, I found one for pretty cheap. My buddy Dan Powell's neighbor was selling his. And so, um, I loaded up a bunch of my stuff and I drove to Oregon and I picked it up and then I drove to Washington and then my mother-in-law fell ill. So I, flew home for that 
and then flew back to Washington and continued on. And the only two places I had to be, I had to be in uh, Denver at one point in like early July, maybe um, for a Shimano gravel Alliance thing. We were flying. I flew out of Denver up to Toronto and then back and then um, rocket from the crypt was playing in San Diego in October. So my, and my friend Mickey got me tickets, got us tickets. So basically in this six month journey, I had to be in two places and otherwise it was just, I was just kind of freewheeling it. it that's so cool. That's the best. That, that, that's such a cool trip though. I mean, for six months too, a lot of people don't get the opportunity to spend that much time on the road. You know, I, I think that an artist has something with not having yeah. a schedule. Like if you had, if you had a fucking career in like nine to five, I don't think you would create what you create, you know? And I think that road trip kind of almost, it may have reconnected some neurons, sure. you know, like, yeah, I sure it know. did. It was, it was yeah. something that I'd always wanted to do. I just hated, I hated the motivation for it. You know, it's, it's this yeah. whole thing, this whole thing with, with my marriage, like I, I hate what happened. Um, but I am so grateful for what has come out of it you know i i hated this trial separation but i loved the trip um i hate not being yeah. with her but i love the work that i've done on myself because of it um i don't know that i would have i would have ever gotten motivated to to take these steps and to to face all of this really heavy stuff um had i you know inside of me and and my deficiencies or my you know, the challenges that I needed to, to get a handle on. I don't know that I would have ever done that because I was comfortable, you know? Right. Yeah. I think that's, that's the big thing about change, you know, is, is having the courage to just either say, fuck it, go all in one way or the other. I mean, you know, I use the term all the time about commitment. You know, if I, if I say I'm going to ski something and I look down, like climb up and want to ski down, you know, my friend Bob always says, you know, well, we're committed, you know, and I love that phrase. Like, I think when you when you fucking drove away, you were like, I'm committed. You know, this is you kind of knew you're headed in that. direction. Yes. But uh, or swim. You I, don't I, know ahead of you. You know, yeah. you just got to rely on your own abilities and your own skill and your own wherewithal and fortitude and and really have faith in yourself. Yeah. Right. I think that's the bottom. Line. Yeah. Well, I think that's the universe too. I think, you know, like what you're creating now, it's really hard to ever see the end. Like I, I work a shitty job. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, I want to get into it. Like you guys do that, you know, would you rather on your podcast and you had the, uh, like the last one I think was like the grease trap face mask. And I was like, you know, I, I work as a wastewater guy. So I'm like routinely picking like you know 80 pounds of tampons out of a bar screen i'm like i'm like man i don't know if i would do that face mask like i think i'd take the fucking fleas because <laughs> dude like what you said about the the grease trap smelling worse than death like i've worked in the sewer industry for a lot of years and uh and man i'll tell you grease traps they're not even sewer they're like there's some other fucking dimension <laughs> of smell like it makes me sick and i've smelled human shit for 22 years you know so <laughs> I don't know how the grease trap guys do it. They'll come and pump out a grease trap and everybody in the restaurant will just fucking yeah. leave, you know, they have to close so the bad. business down. Um, well, yeah, uh, I, yeah I appreciate, so it, you know, like I, I knew that I knew robot had some inkling, but I, but, but like clearly, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. I feel like maybe, yeah. maybe my memory has made it worse than it was, but it, it really is the, it's the it's hell on earth <laughs> yeah it's pretty bad i don't know where i, I don't remember where i was going with oh that, work, but, um, <laughs> working for a living uh oh yeah working for a living yeah i i think that you know i i left a, a municipal job after a lot of years and uh we kind of just cast off into this life of you know i mean just creating and writing and, you know, started this podcast as kind of a way as an outlet. And I think, you know, until you have kind of like this commitment to 
that lifestyle where you're going to go, well, I'm not going to focus on a career. I'm not going to focus on, you know, the future presents itself. I think that's where I was going with this is like, you know, you put a foot out there, the universe kind of puts a step down for you, you know, or a step up for you. I think that's kind of where you're at now, like with the thrasher coming out. I mean, everything's so apropos now, like you got the thrasher spread and then you've, you've got a book coming out on, uh, next Saturday. I'll try to get this podcast out as soon as I can, but so your release is, is this Saturday for yeah. your, your new book. So yeah. I mean, that's another, that's crazy too. How long did it take to well, make the book? So I it's mean, a book of drawings that I have done while traveling and I'm not... it's book, it's drawing. Yeah. Plane, yeah. Right? Um, and my, my friend, Chris McNally, who is so, he's so talented. He, he grew up in Colorado. We're roughly the same age, but we didn't know one another uh, until we were in the Bay area, but he's so good. He's so good. And, um, somewhere along the way, we, I think we went on a ride one day and just started talking about like, you know, the prospect of making a fanzine or something. And this was about three years ago, I guess. And I'd been doing drawings while traveling since 2005. I think I have hundreds of essentially the same <laughs> it's the same drawing it's just a it's just a drawing from my airplane seat um and chris of course took it to a totally n different level and his the, the drawings that he's put in the book are so beautiful i feel kind of like people are going to buy the book just for his work and i you know like <laughs> kind of hang my hang, hitch my trailer to his star on this um but uh yeah we finally we finally got our shit together um, probably nice. Oh gosh. The, the last three months we've been working pretty, pretty hard on it and doing editing and writing. I wrote the forward a bunch of times. I've written the forward, I think 15 or 20 times. And that last, I sent it to oh, my mom shit. for a final edit and she, her response was, well, it, it's not my favorite thing you've ever written, which was super encouraging. Uh, but yeah, we so we are going to have a admission workshop on the March seventeenth. We're going to have a book signing and release there, and then we're going to do one at um, Peloton in Seattle on the twenty fourth, and then uh, Golden Pliers in Portland on the tw the following day on the twenty fifth. And I hope that you know I'm 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 going back and forth between. Uh, being terrified that we printed too many books and now I'm just going to be sitting on hundreds of books and thousands of dollars in debt for the rest of my life or we didn't print enough and we're going to sell out and then and then we're fucked kind of yeah then somebody's disappointed and you either have to print more or you have to make the I'm happy to... I'm happy to print more if people would be patient you know to to like wait I think we figured out a cave not a caveat I don't think that's the uh, I don't think that's the term I'm looking for, but we figured out a way that if we do sell out of the books, we're going to have, we've earmarked a number for San Francisco and earmarked a number for Seattle and Portland. Um, and if we sell out in San Francisco, we're just going to compile a mailing list and people can buy books and then we'll have signed and numbered copies um, after the fact. And I can just send those from, from Bellingham. Nice. Yeah. I know a lot of book, you know, when you release a book, a lot of it's like pre-order, like they usually do a strong pre-order on that. So they know like a certain percentage to, to print out. So are you guys expecting a pretty good? I have no idea, but I have gotten some messages from people like my, the, my boss at the first messenger company I ever worked for, he reached out to me and, and was asking, you know, the time and date. And I haven't, I haven't had any contact with this dude in like 13 years. So or more maybe, Damn. I mean, 14 years. I haven't seen him probably in 18 or 20 years. And um, I started thinking like, uh, so Chris went to school there. I went to school there, but we've built lives there. We have, you know, just 60 years of shared experience in the Bay Area. And in that time, we've met a ton of people. And, and, and so on one hand, I'm thinking, yeah, maybe 15 or 20 people are going to come to this. And then on the other hand, I'm thinking, there could be a thousand people show up to this. I, I have no idea. <laughs> yep. It's pretty. That's awesome. There's a huge. I was going to say there's a pretty strong uh, bike culture in San Francisco. I know uh, 
there's an anarchist guy that I like. Uh, Chris Carlson actually does bicycle tours around San Francisco. And I was kind of researching the, you know, the history of riding bikes in San Francisco. So I think I didn't know they use messengers there. Used to. I don't know that anywhere really uses, you know, like unless you're bonded and certified and you can do court filings and stuff like that. I think mostly it's just turned to food delivery because everything can be delivered electronically, you know, whether it's PDFs or CAD files, whatever. Um, They still do. uh, There's a guy named um, Corey Binion uh, who goes by Corndog. He was a messenger in Seattle for 20 years and he like, he, he he cut the cord at 20 years. He was going to do it for two decades, and then that was going to be it for him. But we've talked a lot about the difference between, like, a mess, air quote, a messenger and, air quote, a delivery person. And when you're, yeah. when you're you know, delivering stays of execution in federal court, you're a messenger. And when you're bringing people sandwiches and, uh, you know, bouquets and buckets of popcorn and stuff, you're a delivery yeah. I don't know if you guys have Jimmy John's there, but uh, <laughs> those bike fuckers, they, like they give us a really bad name. Like I know I used I commuted to work every day, like rain or shine. And, uh, you know, people would just make comments. And the first thing they default to is the Jimmy John's guys here in Boise. They ride around downtown and they're absolute fuckheads. Like, I mean, they <laughs> I think they I think they've seen like, you know, American flyer too much or something like, you know, and they, they got like four drinks, a fucking bag of sandwiches riding with no hand. You know, I mean, it's, it, I mean, it, it's okay, but these guys don't have the skills. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to be, I don't, I mean, I'm, I know it sounds super snobby when I, when I say like, Oh, you're just a food delivery person. Cause that's not, you know, you're still like, you're still riding a bike in traffic and delivering stuff. I'm just saying that, yeah, you know, to be certified, to be bonded and to be, to be able to to be, you know, your legal process server and that sort of thing like that take, it's a little more intense. And I, the reason I bring up, um, the stays of execution is because we did, I did, I in like under, I had like a four minute window. We filed in San Francisco, or it was generated in San Francisco. We had to get it across under, we took the train, Somebody picked it up, passed it off to me. I took the train and it wasn't that great a distance from the train station to federal court. But I, I mean, we had a really limited window in which to do it. And, and I don't know that I would have trusted it to somebody who was just like a hack, you know, even though I have a, a, yeah. a hack myself, but that's crazy. That's somebody's I, life. That's I know crazy. there was some, there was some wild shit. We had like uh, one time I, I picked up in this one non-district non-district descript place uh rode this package across town into this to this other nondescript place and the people opened the package in front of me and there had been five half a million dollars worth of diamonds and i'm just thinking you you like put my well-being in jeopardy you know if anybody knew this is what i was transporting (laughs) they would have killed me yeah but yeah fuck yeah you're not jason i know you're too cheap to hire (laughs) you know, armed transport. So you just give it to some schlub who's like in yesterday's or nursing the hangover, you know, to, uh, how do we get on? How do we get on that? No, nah, we're talking oh. about San Francisco and like the, your, your tour coming up. Cause I know Portland also has a good, uh, bike culture as well. So you're, you're flying down there, right? I know I hassled you about, oh, come- you know, it, I think I, I, yeah, coming to Boise. Yeah, we will Colorado. be. We'll, uh, we'll, I'll fly to San Francisco and then Chris is going to fly to Seattle and then he and I'll drive down to Portland. Yeah, I'll drive to Seattle and then pick him up and then we'll drive to Portland. And then I think he's going to Colorado, flying to Colorado from Oregon for, uh, family mm-hmm. stuff. But we've talked a little bit about maybe trying to generate some kind of, like, you know, depending on the, the success of this initial launch. Uh, maybe do a thing in Colorado, and if we can do a thing in Colorado, maybe <clears throat> excuse me, do a an event uh, of some sort between here and there. But I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I would, I would love to. I would love to do another thing like I did a couple years ago, but just drive around with books in my truck. Yeah. You know, I think, yeah, I think that would be a blast. Yeah. But we still have to figure out how to make a living in the meantime, and 
Oh, that was one thing I wanted to kind of give a shout out when I was doing that trip. Like I have orders to fill and the only way that I was going to be able to do the trip was if somebody was handling fulfillment for me. And my friend Caro did the whole thing the whole time I was gone. She did all of the shipping for me, like stickers and shirts and whatever soft goods or whatever product I had. I just took all of my stuff to her house and she dealt with all of it. So yeah, she was That's integral cool. in me being able to do that trip for sure. Yeah, you probably didn't spend much money on that trip too. I know I always hassle. I had a I had a guy that did a bike packing tour, and he went clear yeah. through Mexico. And I think this dude was living like on two bucks a day. Yeah, I mean, aside from gas, you know, I, you know, like I can I live I live pretty tend to live pretty small, um, bag of growth yeah. in there and and. It's, it doesn't, you know, camp campsites in uh, in uh, the Midwest and Arkansas and stuff. They're pretty cheap. I was easy. I had a yeah, couple grand for six cheap. months, maybe. It it didn't cost that much at all. Yeah, that's awesome. And how many days is this book tour? I I can't remember. It's is it? Are you just banging it out like Saturday? You got San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. It'll be it'll be Saturday the seventeenth, and then the following weekend we'll be in Seattle and. So it's okay. Yeah, to, so to call it a tour off, right? is kind of erroneous because it's not that's not really the case, but it gives us an opportunity to sort of test the waters to see what interest what interest people have in it. And it's, you know, like I'm a big fan of um I was thinking about this the other day. I'm a big fan of art books in general, but some of my favorite art books have been recreations of people's sketchbooks. And and I was thinking about like I don't really like going to museums, but I love going to, to see people's studios. I like I like to see what the process looks like as opposed to the finished piece. And <clears throat> this book that we've done is far more sketchbook than it is like art book. And so I, that's awesome. Yeah, don't even get me started on process. I I fucking I'll nerd out over process. I I know I've watched the uh uh, the the Ali Shawcat went to Pettibon Studio, and I've watched that video like four or five times, like I just to see him working, you know, and how fucking <laughs> odd he is, you know. I I I definitely get off on process. So exciting! So it's so it's so inspiring to me. Like I just I love that so much. I would I would I don't even care if I don't like the person's work, you know, like studios. The environment in which that stuff happens, whether it be on paper or in a physical space, is is the best thing in the world to me. A thing, um, this guy Forrest, a local kid, he turned me on to a YouTube channel. Uh, it's a guy called Bobby Fingers, and so far he only has two videos, but he makes these incredible fucking dioramas, and they are hilarious in the the overdub. Of the sort of the narration is amazing and then he finishes these pieces and he wraps them up and he boxes them and he buries them and somewhere in the video there's a hint like longitude and latitude there's a hint where these where these packages can be found and um from there i just went down the rabbit hole of all of these diorama makers where they're making you know they're doing uh I don't even know the material like polycarbonate water. It's like the, it's yeah. like the, the scale train model build. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. Start to finish yeah. and they make it look so easy, but I, you know, it's, it's hundreds of hours that go into these things and the finished pieces are really cool, but man, the steps in between are the most inspiring to me. Yep. Yeah. I know another mainstream artist that I like his process is Tom Sachs. Like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar oh, with uh, SACHS. Yeah. 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 I know he has a studio in New York and he did the Tin Bullets and, you know, that video kind of went crazy. But uh, I know the Nystat brothers are got their origins there. But he's kind of the same way, like with, you know, where, where he's made like a McDonald's out of like fucking plywood. You know, so it's like, it's just weird shit like that, too. I definitely like. That's kind of weird. Shit. It's my favorite. Uh, I think. Do you know uh, the Dean, the Dinos, Dinos brothers? No, yeah, Dinos brothers. They're the guys uh -uh. that did. Uh, <clears throat> there's a. I, I probably got the name wrong because my brain is sort of 
Are you, are you talking no, about no, guys? these guys did this one piece. It's all enclosed in glass and it might've been a series called, it was like the McDonald's apocalypse and it's McDonald's and, and all of these Nazi soldiers, like thousands of little Nazi soldiers are crucified. And it's, it's this, it's insane. And Holy yeah, God, it's Jack and something Dinos or it's Jack and Dino something. Um, uh, okay. shit. I can't, I would look. It's all right. I'll look it up. I'll put it. I'll try. Yeah, to Dean. I'll I'll look it up and I'll send it to you. But there. Okay. Really. Have you seen the? Speaking of McDonald's, have you seen uh, yeah. Black Sabbath? Yeah. <laughs> like the dude. My son. My son sent that to me, and I forgot that Ozzy actually went and watched <laughs> him play. And you know, God bless Ozzy, man. He's just sitting there like a good sport, and he seemed to like it. But you know, telling people about the fucking evils of McDonald's. Yeah. They- like, that what a what a dude. concept i mean who knew i don't know where yeah. they're from i know that they've played they played in the bay area a bunch of times i've never gotten to see them live so I'm, they're you know like good for them who and who you know they've just been like yeah i'm sure they were sitting around high as fuck one night and they said oh you know what we ought to do is black sabbath cover yeah. band but we <laughs> sing about mcdonald's and we all dress up. <laughs> okay, okay, i guess yeah. that seems like a good idea yeah, I think the same way about Buckethead. Have you ever have you ever heard Buckethead play? Like he was here at, in Idaho and and had a concert, and I'm just like, man, why did this guy put a you know KFC bucket on his head? And he, I mean, he plays like fucking crazy. I mean, he's one of the best guitar players yeah. I've ever heard in my life. Do we know? But, do we know who he yeah, is in real life? No, I've never actually looked him up. I mean, I looked at, I looked up his website, and it's crazy as shit. And I kind of always, I don't know, I kind of like the mystery of it. You know, I, 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 sometimes when people dig too much, and then it's like kind of <laughs> destroys it. You know, I mean, he's got to be somebody's kid that you know, prodigy can fucking jam. Or, yeah, or exactly. he's, he was already recognized well, and super famous, and just wants to do an entirely different thing. So he puts a bucket on his head, and he can. I mean, wouldn't it be fun? Didn't he play with Guns N' Roses for a while? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, yeah. Yeah. That That's kind of, I always thought for a minute, like maybe Slash, you know, but then it's like Slash got that's kind of fat. I was going to say, like, do we not know for sure that he or do we know not know that for sure that he's not Slash? Yeah, he's got the hair. Uh, I, I dig that kind of aesthetic, you know, like where somebody I don't know. I've always like growing up watching fucking David Carradine, you know, rip chinese culture by doing kung fu i've always liked that when somebody just goes off into the distance you know out into the wilderness and you know i mean that's kind of the same the same vibe that i get from guys like that that are like i want to make art but i don't want anybody to see me it's really hard i talked to uh there's a there's an artist called zoltron um i mean that's what he his his name is not zoltron but um that's what he goes by. And he and I were talking on the phone one day, his name's Ruben. Uh, and he's like, well, you know, it's just much easier to promote myself as an artist because I'm basically pushing this idea. I put who's Zoltron, you know, he's just like this guy and I can, I can promote that all day long and it's much easier than to promote Ruben. You know, I I was, I totally I totally get that. And kind of a funny side note, when I was a freshman, sophomore in college, I lived with this woman, Rachel, for a while. Um, She's just one of my one of my housemates. And Ruben is telling me uh, somewhere he's like, you know, my dad's my dad's an artist and my mom's an artist. And Ruben's last name is Raphael. And I was like, "Oh, oh, holy shit. Wait a second is your dad Joseph Raphael? And he said, yeah. And I was like, dude, I used to, his Rachel was a sister. So this is a 20 year span between living with Rachel and learning about her family. And I know I met Ruben at a party or somewhere, but he's done a ton of work for me. And he is somehow invested in sticker robot who, who makes some of my stickers. So like he and I still have this relationship, you know, 30 years on. But I met him through entirely different channels the second time and had no idea that we already had a relationship with each other. Yeah, dude, that's crazy. That's the universe, though. You never. But yeah, that's. It's surprising to me and sort of in or associated with that is that everybody isn't much nicer to each other. 
because we are yeah. all separated by about a degree or, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know that I've ran across people even sitting on the chairlift with somebody riding up to strike up a conversation. And, you know, I mean, Boise's got, you know, the Valley's got 500,000 people and there's been more times than not that I actually know somebody yeah. that they know, you know, I mean, it's, it, I hate to say it's a small world, but then you get in these communities like the bike community, <clears throat> you know, and it's like, it just depends on how much your ego needs to be satisfied. You know, I mean, how much you stand out, but I think, you know, I think that's where, you know, you have these aliases to kind of compensate for not having the ego. You know, I think that's, you know, Zoltron's probably like doesn't want to promote Ruben, you know, but it's okay to have this kind of alter ego, you know, where you can say my alter ego wants to put art out there. So, I mean, I think that's, that's kind of where you're at as well. You know, I mean, you know, I, not that people want to delve into your personal life, but they like your art. So, I mean, for you to, you know, do a fucking book tour and, you know, that's fucking Steve-O can promote it up, you know, I, but I mean. I can push steve but yeah, steve like his own thing. And then Drunking Ham is, is his own thing. And then Steve is just over here, like, managing. It, it really, it <laughs> yeah. really does make it um, considerably uh, easier and this is really, you know, in the last few years is the first time that I've ever cross pollinated between kind of my bike life and my art life. <clears throat> and there have been a number of times where people in my bike life were surprised to find out that I had an art life because I don't talk about it and I promote it. And I don't, right. you know, like I did like a little illustration here for a bike magazine or whatever, or I didn't really, didn't, I, I didn't really, uh, didn't really contaminate the two with with the other or one with the other yeah and that's a kind of separation too like i know like it's kind of when i get into riding bikes like that's kind of what i'm fixated on so then it's like you know i know when i was a kid and i'd play with like cars and shit like i was like i didn't even want to stop to go like take a piss you know because i was like i don't yeah. want to lose this interest but it seems like it seems like you've blended it pretty well with you know i mean even just to have I, I knew you were doing a book a while ago, but it was weird to see like what the book was actually going to be about. It kind of surprised me. Like I thought for sure it was going to be either bike related or skate related. And then I, I know I've always tripped out on your drawings, like from, you know, when you do like a sketch of, of something. And I know a, another guy that I know that journals a lot that wrote a book, uh, Dan Price about how to how to journal. You know, he's this hobo artist guy he lives up in Joseph, Oregon, and a he did a uh, hobbit hole. He did the, fuck, the Moonlight Chronicles. Yeah, you know I him personally? No, I don't know him personally. I conversed with him a little bit. I'm gonna try to get him on the podcast, but uh, he's, he he's kind of yeah, he's reticent. I mean, he's definitely he's he's a guy that you want to seek out because he's not seeking you out. You know, well, so. <laughs> so People, he, people don't know there's this simple shoes uh and they're a company again but for a long time simple shoes catalog was dan's sketchbooks like basically like you happen yep. into it was like the old days where you find a we find a stack of vice magazines like if you found one in the wild you were fucking psyched it was like an easter egg hunt yep and he yep. and his his thing it was kind of the same thing and you'd walk into a shoe store and there'd be a stack of moonlight chronicles and there might be an ad for simple shoes in the back but the rest of it were his journals and his drawings or his journaling and his drawings and they're so good and there were early issues where he talks about the the hobbit the hobbit house that he wanted to build on his on his property in oregon and he talked about his kids when they were really small and surfing with them and his relationship with his wife it was so personal and beautiful and it was like you felt like you were friends with him you know that's such a that's yeah. such a brilliant uh balance to try and strike but he's damn it i, I love yeah. that you brought him up he's he's incredible yeah i i really like him because his life's so simple you know he he had a video once where he ran through his daily routine and it was basically like gets up you know has a really simple breakfast of like whole grains goes for a run and then hits the sauna goes into the river and then basically kind of just draws out in this field and i'm like holy shit like that guy's got it dialed in you know because it's like i say all the time like 
like there's no such thing as boredom really i mean if you if you can go inside yourself and man i know dan's probably reached the level of enlightenment you know what i mean <laughs> like i really want to talk to him but i i don't want to do it remote because i think the technology is i hate to say off-putting but for a while i didn't want to do the podcast if i couldn't you know because i have a van and so i was like i'll oh, get in the van let's record something and I didn't want to do it remote, but then I started realizing, like, fuck, I'd run out of people to talk to, like, really quick if I didn't actually learn technology. And I think, you know, Dan Dan puts out videos. I know he does some YouTube shit, but, like, his handpan, you know, I ended up ordering a CD of him playing handpan. And it's like, I don't know. He's just – his mediums is, are pretty amazing as well. Like, he's definitely a <clears> cool, he's a cool guy. He's really – I mean, as near as I've – experience or any experiences i've had with him he's been really really nice and i as you know i still have a collection of his of the moonlight chronicle zines and he still has them available um you know if anybody who's yeah. listening to this would be interested in checking it out i know he has like a kind of back stock in his in his place and he sells them and maybe that might be one of the ways one of the way one of the only ways he makes money i don't really know what his livelihood is yeah, I'm not sure either. I know Simple Shoes may have picked him back up for drawings here and there, but I'm not exactly sure. He's had a couple books out too. He's got a book about how to journal, and then he's got uh, Radical mm. Simplicity, where it kind of does the layout of his of his home and how the iterations. Like he started out living in like a tent, you know. Like I don't know. It seemed like this guy just hit a breaking point. Like I talked to a guy in New Mexico, a really cool guy. He lives in a yurt, and it's almost like people have these breaking points up to a point and then they just kind of just fucking pull the, you know, pull the lever and go out the escape hatch. And it's like the, the, sometimes that's a guy living in an apartment, going to the bars. And sometimes that's a dude moving out into the fucking yeah. woods in a tent. I, I definitely, you know? you know, I like for a long time, I said, if my, if my marriage didn't work out, I felt like I had like, 51% invested in society and 49% was out the door. And if anything ever went south with my marriage, I was just going to vanish. And then I was like, Oh fuck. Now, like now I got to put my money where my mouth is. And I didn't know what to do. I was actually woke up thinking about that this morning. I was in such distress, like emotional and physical distress and as I had come back, I was a, I was back in Oakland for like three months before COVID happened. So I had a year that I was able to stay there and kind of lick my wounds and sort of figure out what I was going to do. But, she, you know, at some point she said, well, you got, you know, you're going to have to move out. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I wanted to run away so fucking badly. And I even looked at property up in Quincy and I was like, I can buy a bear box and have that and mount that and just live in my truck. Is that realistic? Yeah. Am I, am I doing more damage to myself or, you know, I'm a, you're essentially you're a wounded animal and you want to disappear. You want to go into hiding. That's normal, a, yeah. a normal physiological and emotional response, I think. But at the same time, would shuttering my business and giving up everything that I'd worked on for 10 years just to try to isolate myself from the world, is that going to do me any good? I don't know. I don't know. You know? Yeah. I think people push too much to go back to normalcy. You know, if they have like a, a traumatic event, they go, they, you know, anybody outside of you kind of wants to get you back in the game and push you back into normalcy, like almost too quick, in my opinion. I think you're that road trip may have done some healing, and you know, I mean, definitely, like if you would have pitched the pitched the business to the wayside, you might have picked it up later and been like, "Fuck, where would I have been two years ago?" You know, if I would have kept this going, and you know, it made a ham it may have hampered he healing, and then you know we'd be doing shitty jobs not yeah <laughs> yeah well i definitely considered that like just go back to like you know drop out of the bike industry drop out of everything just drop out and go like yeah uh what's that movie spanking the monkey where the kid fakes his own death <laughs> you know like it, that, that's the that's the contradiction <laughs> that i've always 
wrestled with is like on one hand I want to I want to be social and I want to have friends and I want to be the life of the party and I want to like engage and make and do all this stuff and on the other hand I want to fake my own death. It is it, yeah. it's endless. Yeah, but... It's 50, it's like half and half. Yeah. Yeah, I'm that way too where I like when I leave places, I don't leave them but I leave no return path. Like I like my my LinkedIn and shit, if I had, you know, like a professional resume would be like professional, you know, spanning emulator, you know, like I, I'll burn a fucking bridge. Like, I mean, it's like I don't want to I commit like I'm never going to go back, you know, this to fuck this job, you know, and I just, you know, I, I live that way. But I'm the same way. Like, I don't know. It's it's definitely weird because i mean part of you wants to do it then part of you wants to see like the outcome like oh i left what what are people doing yeah. now that i left you know it's just like the spanking the monkey kid looking at people through the bushes like oh how are they you know how are they reacting to my death yeah but <laughs> it's it about thing. i mean what is it about the human condition or about you know certain people who like fantasize about standing from their own funerals at a distance it's so yeah, fucked it's so up weird. you know yeah, I wouldn't is. really, I don't want to put my, you know, my friends and family through that. But at the same time, is it, is it ego driven or what's, what's the situation? I don't know. I don't know. I just think it's like a perverse fantasy that something happens. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's like, I can't remember, you know, like that they say that, you know, being, being stupid is like being dead. You know, you, you don't know it, but everybody <laughs> else around you does, you know? So it's like. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of this weird paradox where, you know, you're not going to know once you die. I mean, depending on your belief system, but I don't know. It is definitely perverse. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know you got a, appointments. I just wanted to. It's super stoked to talk to you about shit, and uh, I'd love I'd love to talk to you again after you get back. You know, and okay. see how things went, and you know, and definitely talk about bikes at some point too. I know we we delved a lot on yeah, art bikes are and, boring. Uh, yeah, bikes are boring. I mean, it's and in so many different ways too. I know, like you guys have that catchphrase on the cycling independent. You know, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. And I think, like, you know, I've come across some BMXers at the skate park, and it's like, man, eh, they're okay. You know, I mean, it's like there's just different iterations of bicycles. Right. I think, there was you know? a. I was traveling in Europe right. a long time ago, and I was asking this this English guy who I met like as soon as I got had touched down in Germany. I was talking to him about traveling and like, you know, the people interacting with people or whatever. And he's like, Oh, wherever you're good, wherever you go, you're going to find good people and bad people, like no matter what, you know, and it's such a simple observation, but it's something that I have, it always, it always resonates with me when I think about, you know, like, yeah, bike people, I, 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 um, some of my greatest and most sincere, relationships that I have in my life, uh, can, you know, came out of bikes. Um, and yeah. you know, but like, I don't really like talking about bikes. I like riding bikes, but I just assume like ride my bike. It's just a, it's a, it's a way for me to get into the woods to take a nap. I don't really think I consider myself a mountain biker anymore because mountain bikers are total knuckleheads. But I do like riding a mountain bike. I don't know. I don't know. It's the Fugazi, the whole, you know, you're not what you own. Like, I don't identify with any yeah. any one thing or any one group because uh, I don't like to put myself in a box, you know? Yeah. Well, and the thing is, too, like when you said, you know, leave in the bike industry, I, I work in, in basically the ski industry and it's always been like a huge turnoff. If anybody calls anything yeah. an industry immediately, I'm like, Oh, it's fucking capitalism shit. You know, like my soulful activity that I've been doing 46 years, you know, is not a fucking industry, <laughs> you know, it's just so, the thing know. that you do. It's, it's the thing that you enjoy and something that brings you peace. And, and maybe, maybe it doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. But then when you start, you know, people like wrap their identities up in what they do or how they recreate, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's boring. Yeah. It's boring. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Talk to a road biker. I mean, they're the same as a mountain biker, you know, I mean, if you, if you see these, you know, fitness guru, Lycra guys, you know, I mean, 
they're they're i don't know was some a, of them a bunch it. of years ago I, I decided i was going to give up on art because i think artists are are dopes and i was going to give up on bikes because i think cyclists are dopes and i was just going to do karate and build model cars <laughs> and um and then i was i realized i was just exchanging one physical activity for another and one sort of cerebral like geek out focus waste time activity for another yep. and you know and then i realized i was like there's there's assholes in karate there's definitely assholes in model oh, yeah. car building and and t- to be fair i only built one model car i didn't do any karate i gave up on that dream pretty pretty quick <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, just like that dude said, there's good people everywhere you go, you know, and everywhere you go, you yeah. just gotta, hopefully you find the ones that, uh, you know, you fulfill and fulfill you and, and call it a win. So anyway, I appreciate you, uh, reaching out to me and taking the time. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, we're looking forward to the, to the book release. You know, I'm definitely looking at picking up a copy. If there's any of them left after San Francisco, Portland, and I'll Seattle, either have so. uh, like 600 copies or I will have none, but I, yeah, we can always nice. get more made. So. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm willing to wait as long as you guys sell out at your, at your upcoming Excellent. stuff. So. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your day and um, we'll, we'll talk again later about hobbits and <laughs> Absolutely. and, fucking running off to the woods all right man thank you all right all right take care